Welcome back. It's the RAJ Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie J. Tonight, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, a little bit special, as it were. But first, we're going to start by drinking, as we normally do. Um, this is called Thieves and Kings. It's a hazy IPA. I believe that Miss Frank gave this to me. So let's crack it right now. Oh, my. It's got a little bit of a coconut flair to it, at least judging by the can. So let's give let's give it a shot. Oh, how smooth. Good one, Miss Frank. Cheers. So what are we going to talk about? Well, tonight I'd like to introduce you to, which you've already read the title, so you already know. This is going to be uh, Die Hard, a retrospective from R.A.J. Studios and Robbie J. Yeah, we're just going to do a retrospective on Die Hard. Because honestly, Die Hard is one of my favorite movies ever made. And in fact... I always watch it around Christmas. I mean, you know, we've heard the debate. Oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes, it is a Christmas movie. It is. And anyone who says anything different is a fucking idiot. So if if anyone tells you Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then they're lying to you. Okay? Because yes, it is absolutely a Christmas movie. And it's honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. How do I quantify Die Hard, right? And I have to say, I think it's the best action movie ever made. And I know that's going to be controversial for some people because there have been some great action movies. I mean, Terminator is a good action movie. Fucking Aliens is a good action movie. Uh, I think the original Expendables is a pretty good action movie. Um, Fucking The Running Man is a great action movie. There's tons of, of great action movies. There's hundreds of them. I mean, let's be honest. Anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it is it's pretty good. Not all of them were great, um, but most of them were. Uh, back in the 80s, you had Van Damme and fucking, uh, you know, Lundgren and all those dudes. Uh, there's tons of them, right? But I, my controversial opinion stands because I, I really, I kept thinking about it and I was like, is Die Hard the best movie ever made? And the answer is no, it's not the best movie ever made, but it is. And it isn't. So I have to just say that it's hard to say if somebody comes to you and they, and they come and they're like, oh, so what's the best movie you've ever heard of? And or what's the best movie you've ever seen? Um, I don't, I think that's an impossible question because I think it depends on genre, right? Like, I can't name you my favorite movie of all time because it just depends. If you're talking about fantasy, it's Lord of the Rings. All three of them, I think, are are excellent. If it's a big kaiju movie, <clears throat> it's either between Godzilla, King of the Monsters, or uh, Pacific Rim. If it's a sci-fi epic, I don't even know. Star Wars would have probably fallen into, into that, the originals. None of that trash now. Um if it's a straight like action adventure movie, it's Indiana Jones. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say if, if it's a horror movie, that's a tough one. Probably the exorcist is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, I'd have to think about that though. Cause there's a lot of really good one. Poltergeist is another excellent horror movie. It, it's hard to say, but I mean, I think, I think you just have to go by genre. I don't think that you can just step into it and just be like, oh, well, well, you know, the, be- the best serious movie ever made. Like you see these top 50 lists. And of course they always put Citizen Kane as the best movie ever made. I don't know who comes up with this shit. Um, no one I know has seen Citizen Kane. No offense. I haven't seen Citizen Kane and I consider myself a cinephile, you know, not a pedophile. Now that's a cinephile. Calm down now. Um, 
but anyway, you know, it's one of those things. You just, you, you can't, I just think, I don't think you can quantify movies like that. They're all divided into genres. You just can't go into that and just be like, oh, well, there's, there's only one best movie ever made. I don't think that's true. I think it just depends on, on the genre. It really does. Now for everyone, it's going to be different, right? People will have their own list, but I think as a straight up action movie, not action adventure, cause that's Indiana Jones. But if we're talking about it, just a straight up action movie, I have to say it's diehard for me. It just is. Um, I like the first three after that. Uh, the fourth one's okay. I mean, you know, they have a little, it, it's kind of cool. I, th- I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit too much that John McClane is an action hero and I don't like that anymore. It starts to deviate from the original. Um, I love the first one. I like the second one. And I love the third one. The third one is, to me, the quintessential movie about race relations in America. It really is. It really addresses it in a fair way. And by the end of the movie, you just get it, right? I just think that that was a great social commentary on racism. It just really was. Whether you agree with it or not, it's a great commentary on on racism. It's a great commentary on the white and the black dynamic in America. It's excellent. It really is. They did a good job. Samuel L. Jackson knocks it out of the park. It's one of my favorites. I just, I love that movie um, for what it is. But is it my favorite Die Hard? No, the first one's my favorite. And that's not to say that the second or third are shitty. They're not at all. I love them. But when we're talking about uh actual action movies i think that die hard is the one that i always go back to it's the one i watch i watch die hard every year and sometimes i watch it more than once because i just love it that much and i'm gonna go through and the reason this is a retrospective is because we're gonna go through it we're gonna talk about why why is die hard such a great film why is it is it because of the acting some of it sure is it because of the plot yeah is it because of the payoffs? Yes. It's because of the, for me, it's for the payoffs. Everything in the movie makes sense. Everything in the movie, every scene is used. Not a single scene in that is wasted. Not one. And you can go back through. When, when, after you listen to this episode, there might be two episodes on this. It depends on how long I can talk about this. Um, but I, I'm probably going to have a solid two episodes just on Die Hard this week. Um, but if you go back and watch it after this, after these two episodes, you tell me whether or not you think that it's one of the, the, the best and well-planned action movies ever made. It just is because, you know, action movies have this, this kind of sense of them where people say, oh, it's an action movie. It's just dumb fun and stuff like that. And sure, it has that kind of stuff in it, but it's really not. If you look at it, if you take a step back and you really analyze the film, which is what I did when I was watching it with with the kids and coach this week. I really took a step back and I was writing notes while I was watching it, which I, I've never done for a movie. I don't usually need to write notes. I've seen the movie 300 times. I could do it off memory. But I wanted to make sure that I hit all the key points that I wanted to hit in this episode. So, And when I was watching it, I was just like, all these things work. All of them pay off. There's not a single scene that's wasted or stupid. It all just works. So we're going to go into that. So I really, the first thing I really want to talk about, you can hear my paper. I told you I wrote on, I told you I wrote notes about this, but the first thing I really want to address is, um, you know, I'm not a big Hollywood fan in the fact that I don't like Hollywood people. I think most Hollywood people are pieces of shit. 
And I think that there's more than enough evidence to say that n- at least 90% of them are pieces of shit. And honestly, that goes for Bruce Willis. I've heard that anecdotally, of course, I've never met these people. I've heard anecdotally he's kind of a prick. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's very sick right now. And that's a shame to see. Um, I did see a video. He has dementia, apparently, um, and some sort of... I thought there was something. I thought maybe it was a, a tumor. I've heard differing things, but I knew for sure he has dementia. That's terrible. You know, it's terrible, especially I, I knew he couldn't talk anymore either. He's lost the ability to speak. But that's a shame. You know, it's, it's really hard to see one of your favorite action stars end up like that. You know, no one's guaranteed to have a perfect life. No one's guaranteed to to go out the way that I guess we all think that people should go out. But it's a shame to see, you know, I don't like to see Bruce Willis like that. You know, he's just he's an icon to me. He's one of the last, in my opinion, Hollywood icons. There are very few folks in Hollywood that I look at and say, you're a fucking icon. I would say another one is Liam Neeson. I think Liam Neeson is an icon. Um, Harrison Ford's an icon. Absolutely. I think Harrison Ford's a fucking dickhead, but he is an icon. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think Carrie Fisher was an icon until she passed away. Um, there, there's been, there's been tons of people in Hollywood that I, I really think bring something to the, I, I think, uh, a recent example would be, um, oh, no, I can't remember. Come on, man. Of course. Now I'm on this spot. I can't remember. She's married to, um, uh, Emily Blunt is an icon to me. She, if there, if there's a movie that Emily Blunt's in, I'm watching it. And I mentioned this before. I think that she's a phenomenal actress. I really do. She's top notch and she's married to John Krasinski. You love to see it. Um, so I do think there are Hollywood icons. They keep talking about, oh, it's the death of, of the Hollywood star. No one cares anymore. And I do think that that's true to an extent, but I do think there are still, um, folks who are considered Hollywood royalty by people. Johnny Depp is a good example. Um, I know he went through that rough phase where people were lying about him, but you know, he's, I think since recovered from that, um, and which is good to see. I'm glad to see it. Cheers to Johnny Depp. But you know, I do, I do think that there are Matt Damon, Matt Damon, you know, Matt, uh, you got Matt, you got fucking, I think Paul Rudd is, I don't know whether it's real, but watching Paul Rudd in a movie just makes me think that's what he's really like. I know that's probably false. It's probably not real, but he honestly seems to be one of the few Hollywood people that I would actually consider having a beer with. He just seems like a genuine person. I don't, again, I don't know whether that's true. They could be, you know, Hollywood's fake. I mean, who the hell knows? But I'd rather never meet Paul Rudd so I don't, you know, lose respect for him. Uh, but, you know, if it's in the cards one day, I would like to meet him. I think I would. He's one of the few. Him and I don't know. I have to see. I have to really think about it because I don't really like too many people in Hollywood. <laughs> so I have to really think hard as to who I'd really appreciate meeting. Yeah, probably him. I probably wouldn't mind meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, not that's probably about it. <laughs> <laughs> not many, mate. Not many. Let me take another drink of this beer here. Hold on. All right. So <clears throat> as we get into this, I'm just going to kind of lay it out, right? So as, as I mentioned, uh, I wanted to talk about Bruce Willis, but as I mentioned, I, I really, everything in the movie has a payoff. Everything in the movie that happens from the very beginning. So for example, I'm just going to list a couple of them. The bear, the bear in the airplane has a significance. It's it may be silly, but they utilize the bear throughout the movie, right? He gets off the plane with it when he lands in Los Angeles. 
um, you know, the stewardess gives him the eye like, sup, boy, yeah, boy. Um, he gets off the plane with it. I loved his, the, the fucking California, fucking California. Absolutely. That is so true. That's true even today, except the difference between then and now is that there's poop everywhere. But, you know, essentially that's California, you know, the, the hippie nonsense, which they allude to pretty frequently. So the bear has attribution throughout the movie. We continue to see the bear. It's not wasted. Um, the other thing that we see is, is the things with Argyle, which I'll explain in a little while. Argyle has a payoff. He's not wasted in the movie. He does spend most of the movie sitting in the garage with nothing to do, but they give him something to do at the end, right? That's the uh, You love to see it. Um, the big One of the big parts is the shoes. The shoes play a major role in this film. Because you have, when John McClane gets off the flight, he speaks to the gentleman that he's sitting next to, who is, you know, petrified that this guy has a gun. He was like, oh, I'm a police officer, bro. Um, But in their interaction, he tells John that there are some techniques that he can do to kind of ease his ease his issues from from flying. Because he's not big on flying, as you can tell from the opening sequence. and they address that. He takes his shoes off in Holly's office. And when he takes his shoes off to, to make fists with his toes, that's a plot point. Because later on in the movie, he doesn't have any goddamn shoes on when they shoot the glass out. Everything in this movie pays off. The next big part is the watch that Ellis gives to Holly. That is a major payoff point. It's only mentioned for a quick second. You could you could miss it. You could go and take a piss and miss that scene. But it's a pivotal scene to where he wants <clears throat> he wants John to know that he bought Holly not just a watch, but a Rolex watch. Okay. He wants to make that very clear to him. Um, you know, it's just a token of my appreciation. That's exactly right. Because Ellis is a cunt, which we find out later, and that's why he gets his head blown off. But these payoff points, these they're small things, right? Nothing's huge, but they're all payoff points. There's no filler in this movie, right? Everything, even the picture. When Holly gets pissed at John and puts the picture down when she's talking on the phone. That has a payoff moment. It's not wasted. You could just think, oh, well, she just put the, the picture down because she's frustrated. And we could never go back to that moment. But we do go back to it when Hans realizes that the kids on the TV are her kids and that she's associated with John Boy. It's a great scene because he picks up the picture and he says, oh, Mrs. McLean. And then it's all it's all over, bro. (laughs) It's just great. Everything has a payoff. So. One of the, I mean, one of the things is, especially when you're looking at a setup for a movie, there are many movies that you watch where they, they don't really go anywhere with anything. There are plot points that are just lost. You forget about them, but I really feel like they take the time to kind of, to build everything up, but they also, you're learning a lot about the characters while things are taking place, right? You know, from the, the moment that John arrives, as soon as he gets in the limo with Argyle, you're already hearing, you're already experiencing that he and Holly are estranged, right? He stayed in New York to be a police officer. She's gone to LA to work for the, uh, the Nakatomi company. And as such, she gets a corporate like VP position. I think it says marketing on her door. It's corporate marketing. So she gets a high level executive position with the, with the corporation. 
and his dialogue with Argyle in the in the limo when he sits up front, which was a nice touch, because um, he's you know it establishes that John's an everyman, right? He doesn't sit in the back of a limo because he's not some rich person. He's just a regular guy. He's going to sit up with the person that's driving the limo, which first establishes that John is an everyman. And I think that's important with this series is that John McClane, although in the fourth one he's an action hero, but the first three movies he's just a guy, right? He's he's a drunk. Um, you know, especially in the third one, they hype that up. He, he's got a fucking headache. He complains about a headache the entire movie because he's got a hangover because he's a drunk now. That's what he is. And he never gets. And that's one thing I don't like about the series is that he never made up with Holly. They allude to it at the beginning of the uh, at the end of the first one that him and Holly are going to kind of get back together in the second one. They are together. And in the third one, they're just not speaking again. I thought that was the wrong course. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bonnie. I really like, like she's, she was in some show that, that, uh, <clears throat> coach and I used to watch. I don't remember what it was called, but it was some family show. She's a great actress. She really is. But in this movie, I, it's one of those things where every character has a point. Every character has a chance to shine and every character has a reason for being on screen. They're not just thrown in there for fun, but I don't like the fact that we never get to see, um, kind of the the i guess the reconciliation you know even in the third one at the end he calls holly and but then he has to hang up the phone because he finally figures figures out that uh the gruber brother is in fucking um he's in canada and shit like just shit like that it's just like and she screams at him on the phone and that's the last time we ever hear of holly she's gone from that point i think it's a shame because she's a good character I wish they would have reconciled. I wish it would have, but that's not real life. I get it. You know, he isn't every man, but it's also kind of a real life type movie. Hold on, I got to take another swig here. <clears throat> so I look at that and I say everything with this movie works. So you, you have the scene, but the, the opening scene, they're, they're traveling with John as he gets to Nakatomi Plaza. And you're learning about his his relationship with his wife. You're learning about the fact that he never thought that she could make it, and then she does make it big, and that's caused even more, uh, you know, estrangement in their relationship. And you're getting out there, and then Argyle stops in the car, and, and again, the, this is the other payoff. Why is Argyle waiting the entire time for John? Well, it's established when Argyle says, "If you score." Meaning, if you get to, if you get back together with your wife and you need me to take you guys back home, I'll wait for you. And he goes into the garage and waits for him. For the, I mean, it, it ends up being the entire movie, but that's what happens, right? But it, Argyle has a purpose for being there, and his purpose is to drive John and Holly home, which he does at the end of the movie. So it works. So that's another thing. The only thing I have to say, the, the one thing that did stick out to me with the movie that doesn't make any goddamn sense is that when he goes into the, the main lobby of Nakatomi Plaza and the, the guy at the guard at the desk says, just enter in her name and, you know, it'll pop up. I always thought that was weird. And even Coach said something to me while watching the movie. She was like, why would he ask him to do that? full well knowing that the only people in the building are the people who are attending the party. Because even the guard says that at one point. He said, oh, you know, it's the Nakatomi, you're going to have a, they're having the party on the 30th floor. Why didn't you just fucking say that to him? Why'd you make him type in people's names and shit? Now, 
you're going to be like, well, the purpose of that is to establish that she's changed her last name. That's absolutely correct. That is the reason it's in the movie. But from a logistical standpoint, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I mean, you've set it up that Holly, you could have done that with an establishing shot of her door, right? Been like, oh, well, he looking for Holly McClain. But when you get to her door, it says Holly Gennaro. And then maybe they could have talked about it later. But it is addressed later. I just think it's a little bit clunky. That's the only part that I could really look at at the movie that doesn't make any sense. That's a little bit clunky. They needed to kind of just find a way to to kind of stick that in there. That's what she said um, to kind of get that rolling. So it is an establishing kind of piece of dialogue to say that, oh, she's changed her name and he's pissed about it. Um, he doesn't like that very much. But I, I just think it doesn't really work within the confines of the movie because you then you think that the security guard's a big a big piece of shit. So when they blow his brains out, you're just like, well, he deserved it because he's an asshole. <laughs> so I always, I always felt that was kind of a little bit of a weird scene. Um, but I really feel like from, from that point on with the, with the establishment of, of each character that comes in from this point, you know, you've got, you've got all, you got all the players, right? You got, you got Holly, you got the establishment with Ellis that Ellis likes, uh, is kind of attracted to Holly. Um, you have the, the fact that she's not interested in him interested in him you have the fact that ellis is is a druggie uh that he's snorting cocaine uh one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when john says you miss some that always makes me laugh and i always say it before he says it and the kids always look at me funny whatever you know it's all about choices after all um but it's it's a good establishment i just every every character just has that pivotal point where they're kind of established now you can say at least with when it comes to the villains they're not very well established um, I couldn't tell you any of the names of any of them. I know Hans, of course, Hans Gruber. Um, I know Marco is in it, uh, dickheads in there. I mean, they don't, well, they don't really establish the fodder because it is fodder. Let's be serious. They're, those are, they're just guys to die. They're just guys for John to kill. And that's, it's an action movie after all, right? We don't need to have establishing characteristics for each one of the, the uh the fucking terrorists and stuff. it's just not necessary um and i don't you know i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember the uh the guy who's on the who's on the computer what the hell is his name i can't think of it right now i can hear it in my head but then i lose it when i try and talk about it but it, no one is really given very much development and it's not necessary because they're all going to get killed in one way or another you know that marco's brother is is pissed because his brother is killed but I don't remember any of these guys' names. I just watched it the other night. I have no idea what the hell, what the hell any of these people's names are. Um, but anyway, I feel like they all, everything kind of comes together. And you see Han's plan, is, that's the benefit of this movie also, is that the plan of the terrorists makes sense, right? It's genius, if you think about it. It really is. Sometimes you watch a movie or an action movie and you think the villain has the dumbest plot ever. A good example of a good plot is Thanos. Thanos has a reason for existence, right? Thanos wants to wipe out 50% because he thinks that it, we're overpopulated. And he wants to give people a chance to live free. And, and I mean, you, of course, disagree with his methodology. But ultimately, he's coming from a point that at least from an, an audience can understand why he's doing what he's doing. We may not agree with it. We may think it's wrong. But you at least understand what he's what he's trying to accomplish right 
So too with Hans Gruber. He's got pretty much the plan all laid out. And he's exactly right in how he commissions the plan. It's almost to the T perfect. And when he's kind of going over his plans, I mean, they, they do a little reveals little by little, like with the, why there are the detonators so important? Um, you know, the seventh seal, how do we access the, 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 uh, the vault if the seventh seal has an electromagnet that comes down, you know, and he's just like, I can give you a miracle, miracles happen. It's just, it's very much about uh, his plan and it does work. It just does. There's no point during, during the movie where I go, this is the dumbest thing. Or if I think about it, I'm just like, this doesn't make any goddamn sense. Or, you know, this character interaction doesn't make sense. They're only doing this because they need the plot to move forward. Everything that happens makes sense. Everything that Hans sets into place makes sense. He wants to get the missing detonators. He wants to make sure that the, the roof is rigged to explode. He wants to make sure that uh, that it looks like they're killed. That's his whole point. His point is if, if they make it look, because they're just there to steal money. They're thieves. They're not terrorists. They are terrorists, but they're not. They're really just there to steal money. And a shitload of it, too. He does say that they're going to be sitting on the beach earning 20%, but I don't know. Who do you earn 20% from with that kind of cash? Like, who's giving 20% return? I don't understand that part. But anyway, maybe that was like, you know, an 80s thing. We don't have that now. I think our rate of return is like uh, less than 1% for a bank. <laughs> now, I realize you're like, well, he's a terrorist. He's not going to use a normal bank that normal people would. Okay, okay. I, I get it. But 20% seems awfully high. I mean, maybe 9 <laughs> 20? 20%? Holy shit. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> so, but Han's plan is solid. It, it makes sense. You get all the hostages on the roof for an evacuation. You put, I mean, maybe his goal was to put some of the terrorists on the top of the roof and just blow the shit out of them. Maybe he didn't let them know that they were, they were going to be killed. You know, maybe it's like a Joker thing in, in the Dark Knight where he just starts eliminating each one of the people. It, I don't know. We don't get we don't ever get to see the plan hit fruition. Right. We know that the FBI is going to execute their playbook and that plays into Hans. That plays into the electromagnetic seal and the vault. We know all these things are going to happen. And he kind of alludes to it. But the setup for it is just like, don't worry, it's going to work out. And you're just like, well, how the hell does this guy? And then it does work out because he knows each step of the way, what is going to happen because he's been a study of terrorism. He understands what the FBI is going to do, what their playbook is going to look like. Uh, you know, that they, the LAPD was going to come in with a SWAT team. They knew that the LAPD was probably going to use some sort of uh, mechanism because they have the, the missiles too, right? So they must have known that there was going to be some sort of AV used to try to assault the building. So he literally planned for everything. Now, I guess one could ask, well, how the hell did he get the mess? I don't know any of that. You know, I can't go into that. I don't know how Hans got all this equipment and shit. Um, one of the major errors that people point to is when the terrorists are getting off of the, the, um, the truck. When they're getting out of the back of the truck, you don't see the ambulance. But yet there's an ambulance in it later when, when the, uh, the guy who's trying to get to the, to the SEALs when he backs it out and then Argyle hits him with the car and then punches him in the face. But you don't see the ambulance when they do that initial shot. And, you know, at first I thought, oh, that is a kind of a big continuity error, but it isn't. And the reason for that is very simple because if they show you the ambulance in the back of the, of the truck, it gives it away. So I, I really do think 
It's the same thing with with him entering in Holly's last name. It's it's not necessary. It's it's maybe for some people it's it doesn't make any sense, but I understand why the writers and why the director uh, McTiernan why why they went in that direction. Because it's supposed to be they don't want you to know what they're up to, right? So the ambulance is invisible, not because, in my opinion, not because of a continuity error, but because they knew that if they had an ambulance in the back, you'd be like, why the fuck is there an ambulance in the back of there? Now, I mean, you could look at it this way and say that would have been interesting to keep the audience guessing throughout the movie why there would be an ambulance in the back of a truck. That's a fair point. But I do think that they want to keep some things a surprise, right? And that's how they were going to evacuate. It's genius. The whole thing is genius. Because once the roof detonates, all the terrorists are quote-unquote killed. Then they leave in the ambulance because, you know, people are hurt. They leave in the ambulance and then they can get away. It's, it's a great plan. I really do think it's one of the better uh, movie villain plans in history because it just makes sense. And all the pieces line up. They just work. Now, one of the things, and my dad always says this because he was a former police officer, but one of the things that he always hated in movies was when the federal uh, whoever, the federal Gestapo, in this case, it's the FBI. Uh, whenever the feds would be portrayed in movies, they would always be in charge, quote unquote. And my dad would always get pissed at that. He was like, absolutely not. That's bullshit. These people are just making shit up. I'm like, well, it is a movie, dad. You have to give him that. He was like, there's no time in anyone's history where the feds have come down and said, this is our jurisdiction now. He was like, we honestly looked at the feds as a bunch of lackeys. They were there to assist, not to take control. So that was his point with this. He's been saying that for 40 years. (laughs) He hates that part of the movie um, because he's a big diehard fan too. It always makes him cringe when the guy says, "It's it's under FBI control now. Or whatever he says. And you know it's Johnson and Johnson. Alright, so we'll catch you in part two of Die Hard, a retrospective. Cheers. <laughs>